Pearson Ravitz story begins with Dr. Stephanie Pearson, a passionate OBGYN at the height of her career. But when a shoulder injury struck during a precipitous delivery, her dreams were shattered, leaving her unable to practice medicine. Determined to make a difference, Dr. Pearson became an advocate for her peers, guiding them through the complex disability process. Alongside insurance expert Scott Ravitz, Dr. Pearson founded Pearson Ravitz, a company determined to approach insurance differently. Together, they set their mission to educate and empower physicians to protect their most valuable asset, their income, and the most important people in their life, their family. Today, Pearson Ravitz serves the medical community in all 50 states. At Pearson Ravitz, they understand the unique concerns of physicians. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Ravitz builds human connections before they create quotes. Life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness or injury could leave you and your family in a devastating financial situation. But with little planning and guidance, you can prepare for every possibility. Visit PearsonRavitz.com to schedule your consultation with a Pearson Ravitz advisor. This is part two of two of conflict resolution and mediation for physicians. Make sure you check out part one if you haven't yet. And if you have, let's go. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. One of the things, you know, we've been talking a lot about conflict and it seems to be from the perspective of like, well, interpersonal conflict, but where you're, you're not the mediator, right? Where you're just advising the listeners how to deal with conflict in their professional lives, but not where you end up being, you know, the person that's, that's mediating the conflict. So I want to talk a little bit about, about that, right? Because, um, you know, let's say just a hypothetical situation, right? You end up with the stereotypical surgeon, the arrogant surgeon who's kind of mean to everybody. Their stuff is the most important stuff and they're dismissive of the staff. They're disrespectful of the staff of, and, and so when you end up with someone like that in front of you, right? Because they're just in constant conflict with the staff. Where do you begin? So I did a mediation with a, a group of cardiologists and a, a medical center that was the medical center was literally throwing up their hands. They had constant complaints about the cardiologists. They were constantly like the cardiologists abusive to the staff. They're the way they treat the staff is horrible. The way they treat each other is horrible. Um, this is rapidly becoming an untenable situation. And one of the things about those kind of mediations is that it's already bad. <laughs> I mean, you're walking into something that's already bad. Yeah. Um, and I think there's two things that you do when you have this situation. And I think surgeons, cardiologists, any situation where you have somebody who is in the system but actively abusing the staff and constantly causing this this kind of disruption. The first thing that you do when you walk into that situation is you actually show, and I've done this before, and actually American College of Surgeons has this data, and it's awesome, talking about conflict in the operating room. But so often when these people are in this situation, they do not see themselves as part of the system. They see themselves as somebody who's using the system. In other words, the operating room, the staff, these things exist for me. They are here for me. And your job is to have it all ready for me. 
And so the first thing I will do is like, so what we're here today is we're here talking about the system in which you're practicing and you are part of that system. And so the first thing we start to do is we start to reframe this conflict in because, and I will tell you, when you see this kind of thing, especially with physicians that are um, actively disrupting what's going on, they really do see this system in service to them. In other words, they are the person who's the ruler. All of you are here to serve me and I can treat you however I want to treat you. And everyone's replaceable except for them. Yes. And, or I bring in millions of dollars. You can't say anything to me. I'm going to do whatever I want. And what you have to do, the first thing they do when they sit down is when you sit down, it's like, this is why we're here today. These are the rules of this conflict because you have to set these rules. But as we were in this mediation and I was talking to the cardiologist about it's like, I would like for you to verbalize how you feel like you fit into the system. How do you fit into the system? And a lot of times they don't know how to answer that question because they don't see themselves as part of it. They see themselves as above it. And so you have to, first of all, say, no, 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 you're not above this system. You are part of this system. Just like these people are all part of the system. And so as you start to go around and people start verbalizing, sometimes you get because they really legit did not realize that people saw them that way. Yeah. You don't always get that though. You mean the from the staff or the from, from the, the from the surgeon, from this for the surgeon, the cardiologist or the the doctor because the doctor yeah. is like, did you really not realize that they they don't like you? Did you really oh. not realize they hate working with you? Did you really yeah. not realize that they have to have 5 cups of coffee and take 60 breaths before they walk in the room with you because they don't like being there? They don't realize that. So that's the first thing. How do you, is this, in this situation, is everyone present in the room together? Not everybody. Usually it's a smaller group. I would think the, they would be reluctant to speak up against someone who is, you know, because medicine is extremely hierarchical. Right. But this is the thing about reframing. When you start reframing this into a system, Everybody has a role in the system and it takes the power out of it because you're right. When you have that person walking in and that is how they justify their power, that they justify it by the fact that I've had this many years of training. I bring this much money into the hospital and this is why you have to do what I tell you. So we are in this, in this mediation. We are mediating with the staff and, and we did not have all the staff. We had representatives and we had manager in there. So this was a group of, I think it was eight people. So this is a smaller group and we had the two cardiologists and we have the six staff representatives and managers and we are talking about what these interactions are and what has brought us here today. We start to reframe this into the reason why we're here is we want the system to work well and you are part of the system. And so as you start to reframe that from power into staff, you reframe this into this box of we're all here trying to do the same thing. We're starting to align goals. So I'm in the middle of this mediation and we're starting to make some progress. And one of the cardiologists clearly has had enough, says, I, I'm not going to listen to this. This is BS. I'm getting up and I'm leaving. And he stood up. And I didn't stand up. I was sitting down and I said, now I want you to listen to me. If you leave this mediation now, not only are you losing the opportunity 
to build a relationship with people who want to help you. They're sitting here right now because they want to help you. If they didn't want to help you, they wouldn't be in this room right now. You are actively putting your patients at risk because the worse this situation becomes, the worse patient care is going to suffer. Do you really want to have that conversation with an attorney or do you want to continue to have this conversation here? And he just looked at me and I said, I'm serious right now. Yeah. Do you want to do this here in a safe space with people who legit care about you? Are you going to get your butt up and walk and put your patients at risk? Because you can decide that right this second. And I think I did say it like that. And he kind of looked at me and he sat back down and we finished the mediation. And there's a name for that. We had an episode a while ago with, and I can't remember his name, um, maybe... Oh, well, I'm not going to guess now, but he's from Vanderbilt, where they have a program where they have internal reviews and external reviews. Go ahead. And and what they found is the more negative your internal or external reviews are, the more likely mm-hmm. you're going to end up in litigation. And so mm-hmm. what they do is yep. they have opportunity, they, they rate the, you know, phys- the internal rating of physicians, external rating of physicians, like patients and staff. And if you're an outlier, then you have an opportunity for something like this, like remediation, where they educate you and mm-hmm. help you to be, a, you know, less of a jerk. Um, and and it's to say exactly what you said makes it less likely that you'll end up in litigation because what they find is the staff is less likely to speak up if they see something happening in the operating room because they're afraid of you. And if you're more approachable, then it's less likely to occur. And so, yeah, sorry, you. what were you going to say? No, Vanderbilt did a program in the early 2000s. And what they did, they actually um, would go to hospitals and our hospital did it. And I was in the program, which is how I know about it, where if there were outliers at your hospital, that they would train people to go and actually intervene with these doctors. And all you did was go in with their reviews. You would set up a time and you go and sit down with them. And I got assigned one of our ER docs to go and sit down with them and say, so the reason I'm here today is because I need to look at these reviews with you. And these are reviews submitted by patients about your interactions with them. And I'm not going to make comments about it. I'm not going to tell you anything else, but I do want you to know that these exist. Because Vanderbilt's thought process was, if you just acquaint doctors with the fact that they have that many negative reviews, they will become more self-aware and they will start to look at their own behavior. You don't have to wag fingers at them if they know that this is happening. And it was really interesting when we followed up that absolutely, at least from the ones that we did at our hospital, that there was significant improvement once these doctors were aware that this was a problem. That they were outliers. Yeah. The, the, I was shocked. I was shocked to learn that because I did not think that people would generally respond well to that. I would think they'd be like, no, no, no. Like these must be aberrations. They'll like, ra- they'll ra- continue to rationalize their own behavior rather than like, I've heard the phrase, nobody wants to know that their own kid is ugly, right? Like, no. And so you're, you're being shown this thing that you're, you're, you're ugly. And you know, and most people will, will rationalize that rather than try and try and remedy it. But what you're saying and what Vanderbilt says is that, no, in fact, they will. And I think that's remarkable and shows potential, you know, for what we we can do. So, yeah, fi- just showing them this this information was was motivation. Which is great. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the, the term for that in conflict resolution is being the agent of reality. Um, you are, you have become the agent of reality. And I think there are times 
that being a physician in that position is very valuable. Because a lot of times if they have somebody who's not medical or somebody who doesn't have that level of training that comes in and tries to mediate, you are going to have those times where you have some physicians that are not going to respond to that. Yeah. They, they, honestly, they don't know what it's like to have an admin right. who doesn't deal with patients to be able to, who doesn't know what it's like to be in the operating room, like with, right. you know, where things, bad things happen. Um, yes. And now trying to talk to you about that when, when they don't, they just don't get it. Like nobody's going right. to get it like another physician. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the things that has been so interesting to me in doing this is because in this world that we've been in, I've, you know, I've been in for 30 plus years. It, I have seen, I will never forget this. And I wonder sometimes if in the back of my mind, this was the thing that maybe got me into this. Just six, when I was, when my very first job, when I was 16 years old, as I was working as a secretary at our local hospital and my mom worked there, one of the secretaries on maternity leave. And so they had me answering phones and my office was right across the hall from the doctor's lounge. So my job was to maintain the medical library and, you know, I knew where the doctor's lounge was and I was at work and it was 830 in the morning and all of a sudden I heard boom and I was like, what the heck was that? And the door of the doctor of the doctor's lounge opened and I hear, you killed my patient, you son of a bitch. And I was like, oh. Okay. And then I see one of the anesthesiologists come around. I worked for one, I was working for one of the vice presidents come and he slams his hands on my desk and says, where's the VP? And I was like, hmm. and he was in his office and he says he saw me visibly shrink under the desk <laughs> as this guy came storming in. And after all this, I saw Wayne go find the other doctor. And, and I asked him later on, it's like, well, what happened? It's like, well, the, this particular nephrologist who had this patient. This patient was very sick. She was 90 years old. She went to the operating room for something. She died on the table. He was blaming the anesthesiologist. And I was like, wow. It's like, I don't even know what you begin to do about that. And he said, you know what? I think it's one of those things that I just have to try to smooth it over. And I remember witnessing that. I remember seeing that as a 16-year-old kid. And I think at that point, I was too young to understand the level of conflict that doctors can get into. I don't think I, because I never saw my parents do that. I never saw my parents or heard about my parents getting into that kind of stuff. Um, my mom had a sign above her microscope that I didn't understand until I was much older. This says the scalpel is designed to be used on the gross specimen and not on the referring surgeon, <laughs> which is really funny because my dad was a surgeon. Um, but I mean, that was that was her thing is that, you know, mom was one of those who she didn't have to really deal with conflict in the sense that she was one that was able to talk to people. And because she was a pathologist, it wasn't like she was in this a whole lot. Yeah. You know, her that was her expertise. And, and she was very, 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 very good at what she did. But. There's so much of our passion, our personality, um, our fears, our ego that we bring into every interaction we have with other, every other person and more so in a conflict interaction because we're more raw. We are oh, yeah. more, more emotionally invested. And if we are not acutely aware of those things that motivate us, if I can't step back and go, okay, my ego is up in this mess now and I need to step back. There are times that you sometimes have to say to yourself, mm, 
I'm about to get into a little ego throwdown and I need to take a step back. What are my motivations right now? What yeah. is my interest? Why do I have this position? Why am I doing this? And it really allows you to ask that question of other people because you've had to be so. So you'd, you'd mentioned being in the circumstance where the, the surgeon, right? The, 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 other members of the operating room or in, in I guess, the interventional suite for the cardiologist, right, have to be able to approach the cardiologist or, or interact with them in the setting of the mediator. So how do you create a climate of safety where they feel comfortable communicating with you, knowing that, again, there is this hierarchy? Like, how do you make it? So we talked about how you handle the the one who's higher up on the in the hierarchy, but how do you make it safe for others to communicate? Yeah, that's a great question. I I definitely think when you have people who are involved in conflict and there's hierarchical things going on, one of the things that you have to express to the person who is maybe perceives themselves as being lower in the hierarchy is Number one, how important how important their voice is, that they are important to this team and their perspective is so valuable that this whole system could not work without them. And you bring them into the space by saying, you are so valuable and we respect you. And what you're saying in here is only trying to make patient care better. You are doing you are doing this specific thing for patient care, and we are so proud of you for that. And you if you're talking about positions, and I always come back to this because I think so often where conflicts start in medicine is there is a position. There is this person who has this position that this needs to be done and this person has this position that needs to be done. And this is where they fight because they're fighting from these positions. And when we hold on to positions, we hold on to ego. We hold on to power. We hold on to those things that we think reinforce this position. And so the first thing you do is you tell people, I get this is where you're starting from, but that's not where I want you to go. I want you to go to this frame. I want you to go to this frame of what we all care about right now. The reason why we're talking is because we care about one thing, and that is because we want this patient to be okay. And your voice matters in this process. Most of the time when you say to people, your voice matters because we're talking about something bigger than all of us. You start to transcend identity. You start to transcend hierarchy. What we're talking about is bigger than us. And it really is. We're talking about patient safety, patient care. We're talking about quality of life. Those things are bigger than us. They're definitely bigger than our ego. They're definitely bigger than our title or our degree. And when we do that with people, we shift it to something that's much bigger than ourselves, that space starts to form. Because people want to be part of that. They they want to be part of that process. I think it's also, I don't like to use the term equalizer because I, I feel like that's bringing people down. You know, if it's like I'm trying to equalize everybody, everybody at this table is equal, you know, all these tiles are equal. I mean, I I want people to refocus on the fact that we are here for a higher purpose. Right. Okay. Uh, I get it. It's I, when you're, yeah. when you're saying equalizer, we're like, okay, we're going to bring you down a little bit. We're going to bring you up a little right. bit, but what you're right. saying is we're actually going to take everyone out of this. Yes. You're all, you're, yes. you're no longer part of the problem. Nope. 
you're here's the you know we're going to focus on the patient and we're all going to participate on how yes. we can get this common goal of the patient yes. doing well and yes. and so then there's no i get it with the equal yeah. yes and and there's no because i i i do think especially being doctors when we start to sit down at that table and we start to have those kind of discussions I mean, I'm not going to delude anybody listening. We all work very hard for those degrees. We all work very hard to do what we do. And so if I start telling you sitting at that table that I'm going to equalize everybody, guess what you just did? You just checked out. You're not listening to me anymore. You're not. And you're not going to be invested in that conversation. You're. I mean, this is who we are. And so I, that's why I don't like to say, okay, we're all equal here. One of the greatest things I ever read reading resources about conflict resolution is I had, a, I was reading a book by a mediator who said, anybody who thinks that every conflict is going to end by people holding hands and singing Kumbaya is wrong. And we sometimes think that, right? We think, we think about conflict resolution. It's kind of a term that sometimes is misleading because it makes it two things with that term. The first one is that we are assuming that when we're done with the conflict, whatever it is we're talking about, that we're done. Yeah. It's final. And we're probably not. Um, and that's that whole image of, yeah, we're all friends now, we're all happy. Eh, probably not. The second thing is, is that if we talk about resolving conflict, like getting rid of it forever, we're making this very interesting assumption that conflict is bad. And I think that's sometimes... A lot of times it is, and we talked about all the reasons why for quality of care and all these things, why conflict in the sense of being a negative energy process is bad. I think what you mean is unresolved conflict versus yes. resolved conflict, because right. what you said at the beginning of the show is your goal is to give everyone the tool. A successful conflict yes. ends with everyone yes. involved having more yes. tools to resolve conflict in the future right. and therefore need me, the mediator, less. Less. And so if if the less they need you, the more it means they're interacting with each other without unresolved conflict. They may have conflict, yes. but they're able to resolve right. it on their but own. They're able to resolve it. That's the and and the second thing is if we see that some conflict is good, there are some conflicts that are creative that that energy like if you and I have a discussion about managing a patient, it's like this patient has X symptom and it's like, Lee, I think the patient needs X. And I said, Brad, I think the patient needs X. And so we're having this conversation and in this conversation, I mean, we could call it a conflict because you and I may be disagreeing about certain things about patient management, but ultimately this conflict is probably going to lead to something very positive for the patient because you and I are talking, we're bringing our expertise in, I am seeking to understand your position, you're seeking to understand my position, and then we have gone to interest. Once we've gone to interest, we already have an aligned goal, we want the patient to do well. That conflict has creative power. And so there are times that we have to recognize that conflict not only can be creative and very positive, there are times that conflict can be life-saving. There are times that we may actually be in a situation where there is something going on with a patient. It's not being recognized, but somebody says, no, this is happening and I'm going to say something about it. That is going to create a conflict situation, but it's a conflict situation that's making going to make people say, well, we should consider that. And especially if the person who has this insight into something is going on with this patient that's not being picked up. And then that person says, I need you to understand why I feel this way. 
I need you to understand you have given that person the tool to present an interest. They have moved past the position. It's like, this patient, I'll put it in my world, this patient needs a stat section now. Okay, well, if you're just going to say that, no, I disagree. This patient, say, so now we're, let's say we're in a hierarchical conflict. Let's say we have a second-year resident, a chief resident. The second-year resident says, I don't like the strip. The strip frightens me. I think the patient needs to see sex. Chief resident's like, strip looks fine. Strip's okay. Fluid, lighter on her side. You know, we'll stop the pit, whatever. That strip looks okay. The second year's like, I know you don't believe me, but let me tell you why I think this is wrong. When I've been in there, the patient has no fluid. I saw variables. I'm really concerned there's a compressed cord. I think we need to do the stat section now. This conflict has creative potential and has the ability to actually make the patient's care better. And so it's there clearly are times- respectful. And it's respectful, yes. like you're sharing inf- yes. information in a respectful way. Like, to, you know, to, yes. for, for my world, if I've got an anesthesiologist who's about to intubate someone um, supine and I'm like, no, that's not the way like they're, they've got epiglottitis. It needs to be a, an awake fiber optic intubation. Like, and here's the reason why, because I'm worried if you, you, you know, you sedate them any, any little bit, they're going to obstruct their airway and then we're going to have to do an emergent trach. So like if this is, but I don't see that as conflict. Like what we're, what we're doing is we're just, we're exchanging information in, in a reflect, in in a respectful, in a heightened way, because Mm -hmm. clearly if you've got someone who's having, you know, decelerations, that could be bad news. If we have an obstructed airway, that's bad news. So it's, it's heightened because of the stress of the situation. But I don't know if I would define all of those interactions as conflict, but I think you do because one is a, um, people that are both aligned with what is best for the patient and they're exchanging information in a respectful way. But when we think of conflict, we generally think of it as in a lesser and respectful way. And they're not always thinking about what the end point is from the perspective of the patient. Well, let me ask you a question because we'll go back to this interaction that you had with the anesthesiologist. The circulator watching that interaction, do you think he or she would call that a conflict? Um, that's an excellent question. I, you know, it's, it's hard to say, I guess it depends how <laughs> heightens everyone's stress level is because if someone's potentially losing their airway, you know, there's going to be, uh, some tension there. So, yeah. And so, so I had, I was doing an emergent case. I think this is probably two or three weeks ago, had a patient that was bleeding out, had a prolapsed fibroid, had to take her emergently and go get the fibroid, et cetera. Well, I decided to go ahead and do an ablation, and with the endometrial ablation, you've got 90 degrees centigrade water in the endometrium that's circulating in a closed system, so the patient has to be still, because if that patient moves and you perforate that uterus or it falls out, then you've got boiling water in the vagina, and this is not a good thing. So I'm sitting here, and I'm doing the case. It takes 10 minutes to do the ablation part, so we're in the middle of the ablation. patient starts to buck, like she's bucking. And CRNA is up at the head of the bed. And I, you know, like you, we know all of our CRNAs. And I was like, Aaron, Aaron, she's moving. She's moving. And I'm yelling at this point. Yeah. And he's like, okay, 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 okay. And about 10 seconds later, it happens again. Oh. And I yelled at him again. And I said, Aaron. And when she went, and, and then he got it and it was fine. And I said, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry I yelled at you, but I had boiling hot water in her uterus. And he's like, no, 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 it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So in my mind, that was not a conflict, but for other people watching, I did yell at him 
Absolutely yelled at him. 100% yelled at him. And so it was really important for the people who were in that room, Circulator Scrub, for me to acknowledge the fact, yes, I did yell at you. And yes, I'm sorry. But this is the reason why. I had boiling hot water in the uterus, and I was really scared because she was bucking around. I think it's really interesting when we're in these interactions, we may not perceive this as conflict. We may not think it is. But somebody watching may not have that same reaction. And so when you do that with the anesthesiologist, it's like, dude, I'm about to lose an airway. You got you to gotta do this. The, at some point, you're also going to say, thank you, or glad we could do that. Gosh, that went really well. You're going to do something that the other people who are witnessing this interaction are going to go, okay. Even if we might code this out as a conflict, it, it, in your mind it was not. And probably the anesthesiologist, it was not. But for the people who were watching, you have already set that up as this was a professional interaction that improved patient care, and look what it got us. This was a good outcome. And we're, we should always be mindful. It's kind of like children and parents, like we were talking about earlier on, that what we don't think is conflict, somebody else watching who doesn't have our life experience won't perceive it that way. And so right. to so be able modeling to, as well for other people. Yes. Yeah. To be able for them to see we can have professional interaction, that we are aligned. And you know what's so interesting? If you look at things like Walk in the Woods, like Walk in the Woods could be a day. It could be 15 minutes. But it could also be 30 seconds. This process of going from a self-interest goal to understanding that person to having aligned goals to being creative and having a resolution, that whole arc might take 10 seconds. And the more that we do this, the more that we are aware that this process is happening, the more we see it in real time, the more we can actually lead into it and the faster it starts to happen. And so I think the awareness of that, that this is this process occurs, just kind of reinforces that feeling of this is what I'm trying to do. And then you can do it over and over and over. And then somebody else watching you will start to do it. And then when you have the people who come into your, your two doctors in your practice that are fighting, you're able to take a step back and then you can actually help them see, no, we are, we're going to get out of our positions. We're going to reframe this and we're going to actually have interests that we understand and then we can align our goals. And it becomes a much different interaction. Well, I think bringing that back from the beginning of the episode, it's, I mean, you haven't done many podcasts, but that was, an, that was an excellent way to close. That was perfect. <laughs> I think you, you know, brought it back from what we covered at the beginning, going over how, uh, you know, the steps to conflict resolution. I think that's the perfect way to close. So, um, Dr. Sharma, this was this was fantastic. And I know that a lot of listeners, all listeners are going to come away with improved conflict resolution skills, different ways to reframe it and think about it. And hopefully we'll all be better, uh, better people for it. So thank you so much for your time and all that you're doing for medicine with all, with all the conflict resolution and all that you're teaching and doing that. Thank you, Dr. Block. This was a great experience. I really appreciate it. And now a final word from our sponsor. At Pearson Rabbits, they understand that life can change in an instant. It's hard to imagine that a sudden illness, injury, or catastrophic event could put you and your family in a devastating financial situation. Physician-founded and physician-focused, Pearson Rabbits builds human connections before they create quotes. Visit PearsonRabbits.com today and embark on a journey of safeguarding your future. Thanks for listening. 
have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other. Even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you, this is not a doctor-patient relationship and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.